Hi, and welcome. I'm Cassie Burton, and this is Curiosity Junkie. A few weeks ago, I was in Boulder, Colorado, and I had an opportunity to go on an Airbnb scenic overlanding experience with a young man who came to America from India. The conversation was just amazing. I absolutely love learning about new cultures and ultimately finding out that we are all the same. We are human beings. We have differences, don't get me wrong, but at the core, we are all the same. We want to be loved and we want to belong to something bigger than ourselves. Pratik and I discussed life, him coming to America and what it was like to live here versus living in India, and a little bit about growing up in India and some really great stories that he shared with me. I had so much fun with him. I invited him to come on the podcast and share all of those stories with you. Join me in welcoming Pratik Rathod. Hi, Pratik. Welcome. Hey, Kelsey. How's it going? Good. I'm so happy to have you on and kind of share your story and adventure, uh, adventurous life. Well, it's, if you say that way, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm actually honored to be on the show. I've never been on a podcast. Uh, it was my first time. Let's jump in with how we met. We met when I was in Boulder, Colorado, visiting my daughter, and she had some other stuff going on, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do all day? And I looked on Airbnb experiences, and I found your awesome all-day adventure. So let's talk a little bit about how you got started in that. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, you know, you, you stood out amongst all the people I've hosted Airbnb experiences. And uh, I've, I've never had these kind of deep conversations before with anyone else than you. You were pretty open-minded to hear me out, I feel. Um, yeah, it was, it was great conversation. It just made yeah. the day. It was wonderful. Totally. Well, so I started the Airbnb experience out of uh, search and rescue in the beginning. Um, it was a part of my passion, which I wanted to help people out with my own problem-solving techniques um and uh my wife used to hate me you know doing putting myself in a tedious situation and uh you know getting myself out but i'm a problem solver so i always wanted to find and figure new ways to you know uh, tackle tackle whatever it is um so also boulder and colorado in general has a lot of off-road community and because of this off-road community, almost everyone has a capable vehicle. Um, but a lot of people also have off-road enthusiasm where they put their vehicles up in the mountains and, you know, they, they test it out. And somewhere they might even get stuck. All right. So, so there's a huge monopoly on the off-road rescue market, which I was trying to break at that point. Uh, a lot of people make a lot of money out of uh, just getting you out of that place. You know, uh, you might escape, but not your vehicle. So your vehicle <laughs> might cost you like about two to three thousand dollars just to get you out of that place. And I wanted to break it uh, uh, by completely offering it for free. In that way, I get to have their story. I get to see where they get stuck, so I can camp there the next time. And uh, it, it's kind of like an exploration to find new trails and new stories behind uh, uh, other folks. 
so mostly I started from there and then I figured out I've I have a lot of trails in my head that that I want to show people uh, and it's very beautiful um, and I, I I started doing this personally by taking my friends slowly and then Airbnb took into notice and they they wanted to put uh, me on their uh, platform uh, gi giving me the opportunity to well, widen my uh, expertise. So when when Airbnb got me in, uh, they actually didn't even approve me, by the way, uh, because when when they realized that there's a lot of liability issue, just being off road, and what if uh, you meet with an accident, or what if uh, your uh, something happens to your clients, uh, what if you get stuck? So what are these problem solving? So I, I had to give them each and every problem solving step and try to rectify. Uh, what doubts they had. They also sent uh, one, of, uh, one of their people to just test it out to see, is it too scary or not? Um, and ultimately they actually decided on one trail out of seven to 10 trails I showed them. And the trail which I actually took you on, which is nine out of 10 in uh, visuals and in difficulty level, it was one out of 10. And that's how I got into Airbnb experience. And you know, just it, I, I wanted to turn my passion project into something like a career, something which makes me happy all the time. I think yeah. that's so important too, like being able to do what you love and like get you excited. And you want to get out of bed in the morning. I think it's fantastic that you found this. Yeah, uh, I, I feel a little. I, I see a few people see me and feel a little jealous that hey i'm on a a, a nine to five job mm -hmm. and i work in accounting every day and if you put yourself out there in the nature and showing people what the outdoors is like and what the lifestyle is like how to tackle certain things it, it's a very different kind of career itself uh i i didn't know it would be possible till i even tried it yeah yeah, yeah and I, you know it's interesting with the um Airbnb thing, and I'm not promoting Airbnb, it's just something I use for, you know, for me. But you forget that the experiences are there. And even if you're a local, this might be something that you don't think about doing. And it was interesting because when I got back home, I go, you know, I got on Airbnb and just looked like what was around here. There's all kinds of like biking adventures hiking because we have mountains galore and um i just thought wow what a great opportunity for someone who's passionate about the trails and being outdoors and being in nature to share so i'm just encouraging everyone to like pop on airbnb experiences <laughs> not that i'm making any money off of it but i just i think it's a great way to get to know the area you live in even Totally. I, I feel uh, the Airbnb experience is kind of uh, opening the vernacular horizon uh, on the on the local structure of the city. So whatever places you uh, uh, you go, like say if you go to a, uh, a city like New York, so you will feel the culture of New York in those experiences they provide. Yeah. And I like that. It, it kind of gives you a much deeper sense on what the people are like, what are their hobbies like, what, what people's interests are like. In, in a place like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just thought it was great and uh, what a great connection we made. I do want to talk about, you were talking about the search and rescue mm -hmm. and that's kind of what led you into this. Uh, and we talked quite a, quite extensively about the search and rescue piece of it. 
So I want to talk about you. what made you get into that. I know it was, you know, trying to help people with the money piece of it because there's obviously, you know, everybody's trying to make a buck. And sure. when you're stuck, you can get taken advantage of. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, initially, I, I, I used to do a lot of camping back in the Himalayan region in India. And uh, it, it kind of encouraged me to uh, kind of explore the side of me, which I've never done before. Mm -hmm. uh, putting myself into a severe weather condition, highest elevation. Uh, I've lived for like more than two to three weeks in 18,700 feet. And it actually takes a long time to get acclimated to something like that. Uh, being high speed wind and unpredictable weather, uh, it's just a torture, to be honest. I, I, I don't recommend anyone to do this, but uh, it was a challenge to me to break me free from who I am. It actually taught me a lot of things, uh, you know, uh, just being in the nature itself. It's not easy, totally not, uh, especially if you dwell in cities. You kind of lose this essence on how to connect with nature, how to tackle certain things. And I think I wanted to reconnect with that. And slowly, I gained a lot of knowledge on, on these really harsh terrains, uh, uh, terrains which uh, are constantly on landslides. You know, roads cannot be built on those kind of places. Give me more and more insight on how, how to tackle this place. Eventually led me to teach people how to camp. So I wanted, I wanted to teach people how to acclimate in a place like that. How do you hike in a place like that? What kind of uh, diet you would need for something like that? Uh, depending on your body uh, mass and um, metabolism. Also, how to sustain a living for a long period of time in a high elevation, which is a lot of hikers' job, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I used to meet a lot of these Sherpas. Like, uh, I didn't know they were called Sherpas back then. Uh, I learned this word in U.S., but it's an <laughs> but it's an, uh, Indian Nepali word, actually. So. Uh, uh, people who actually hike from one village to another village, those hikers hike for at least a minimum of four hours to five hours just to do small businesses and trades to make money on, on that particular day. So they're called Sherpas. Uh, you know, they, 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 they transport food also. They, they, everything is really in relation to hiking, actually, uh, and transportation just through foot. That's it. Uh, and I used to meet these uh, this couple uh, who used to hike to this one place called uh, Kardumla, which is the highest motorable road pass in the world. So that's at 18,700 feet. These couple used to hike for four hours to that spot just so they can make some money by travelers. And all they had was chai and vegetable and non-vegetable momos. So momos are like just uh, cooked vegetables or cooked meat on a wonton wrap. And, and it's just uh, just enough energy to, you know, get you by. And they, they had even, uh, what do you say, uh, steamed beans to give you protein in a place like that. Yeah, so it's just very barely simple. But when you see that food at 18,700 feet, you will eat it. You will not deny it. Even if it's not something you would eat, you will still eat it. Uh, and I, I couldn't thank that guy enough. We just hike for four hours. They, they travel just eight hours every day just to make that little money. Wow. 
Yeah, so uh, getting back to uh, me getting to know how do I teach people on, on the camping and uh, uh, how to acclimate yourself in high elevation. Uh, since I arrived in US, I was more focused on my career. My career is actually revolving around uh, uh, visual effects. Mm, right. And uh, uh, visual effects can be added on to TV, advertising, and movie. But I wanted to explore this other side of me, which is connecting to the nature itself, which really fascinates me a lot. And, and a lot of my VFX is inspired by real life nature. So I, I create a lot of backgrounds according to it. But when I came to US is what I wanted to continue this knowledge and kind of create a new search and uh, like not search and rescue because US is very developed actually compared to any other country, it is number one. Okay, so you, you really can't really, don't have to help people are already helped. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they are very accomplished. So um, all I saw was people get stuck out of their own passions. So they're passionate about driving, they're passionate about going and exploring, but not passionate about tackling getting stuck. <laughs> yeah, they're not, they, they really want to get out of it. That's it. That's the end goal. I don't want to get stuck. Right. So that's where I come in. And slowly when I started seeing what that, that kind of uh, the, the attitude they had towards uh, getting out of a sticky situation, mm -hmm. I thought, why don't I tackle this? I, I like these problem solving. And I started doing this in Florida, actually. So uh, uh, my wife and I, we, we used to camp a lot in the Media Beach Island. So that was the only island where you could camp on the beach. So a lot of trucks come, a lot of four wheels come, jeeps. And most of them are two wheel drive. I don't know how, how would they even go through the entire beach. But yeah, they used to get stuck. Uh, and they somehow figured out that there's this other guy deep inside the beach who has a truck with a witch. He can pull you up. Yeah. So the word kept spreading around. And I had to keep going back after every five minutes just to get someone up. And I think you know, that kind of strikes me an idea that, hey, I think I could do this. You know, uh, this is something which I'm really passionate about. I didn't know people would get stuck. So why not? Let's try this out more and more. Yeah. Um, and then it actually made more sense when I came to Colorado when more people were getting stuck and there is a huge uh, community of off-roading. Mm -hmm. um, so it, here people come from all the way from Florida, they come from Georgia, they come from New York. And yeah, you know, if you're not familiar with the terrain and if you're not familiar uh, with the environment or the climate or the weather, you might get stuck. Yeah. And uh, I think I've had more fun helping people get out of sticky situations in, in Colorado than any other place right. in the U.S. You know, and I, I think it would be interesting, too, because they're in a state of desperation. Their, their vehicles are stuck. And... What a great way to meet somebody because they're going to be nice. They're going to be <laughs> humble and accepting of anyone who will come in and help get them out of there. So what a great way to kind of meet and connect with people too. Gratitude would be amazing. Yes, that's what I want. I I, I, I would hate to make money out of their misery. It, it's not something I, it would not give me a good feeling also. Right. Uh, just make money out of that. But yeah, it, it gives me their story and that's the best thing I can get out of it. I love that. What's the craziest thing with search and rescue that you've ever come across? 
I think it really depends on how crazy the situation is. You know, most of the times, by the time I hear the situation, it's already bad. It's, it's, it's to the point that they are starving. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because uh, uh, I think, okay, I'll, I'll give you this one instant. Uh, these guys are from Florida. It was a couple. Uh, um, and they had two dogs. Uh, they had one of these big trucks, these four-wheel trucks. Uh, uh, I mean, there were four wheels at the back. I forget what the, the, that kind of a truck called. But it was a huge truck. And they had a 28-feet camper trailer behind that truck. My. And they were really ambitious to take that trailer on an off-road and find a very beautiful cliff to park it and, you know, just stay there for weeks, I believe. But they got stuck in this one of these curves uh, where uh, one of the side is just a 6,000 feet drop like, ditch. And that's where the trailer was stuck. The back wheel of the trailer got stuck there. And uh, they, they actually tried to call the, the actual search and rescue, but they didn't get any response from them. They waited about 24 hours, no response. Uh, they, sent, uh, they met another park ranger, pulled in their situation. Uh, and the park ranger also recommended another guy, which is supposed to be me. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, they said, all you need to do is send him this coordinate and he'll come. You don't have to pay him too. You know, he'll come. So since he figured that out, uh, he found me on Facebook. He found a signal too and somehow connect, connected with me saying that, hey, he's stuck here. By, by the time he connected with me, it's already been a little above 48 hours. So a little about 48 hours without water, without food, without anything. Um, and they were starving. Uh, the, the dogs were starving too. I felt terrible about that. But um, I, there, are, there are people around these places which have capable vehicles. But I don't see them helping because of selfish reason, I feel. And, and I also asked them why. And most of them had the same reason, saying, what if something goes wrong with my life? You know? mm. Helping him, if I lose something, it's my loss. I get that point. But then the point is, if you, if everyone helps each other, this situation wouldn't come up. Right, right. But, Everybody would just be focused on how do we serve or help. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got the coordinates. And usually when I get uh, a coordinate, I, I take uh, dozens of apple and a gallon of milk. And uh, went up there, saw the situation. And when I saw their trailer, the trailer was kind of stuck between, wedged between two trees, which was supporting this trailer. <laughs> so if those trees were not there, the trailer would have actually fallen down and pulled the truck as well. Ah! And they, they were trying, they were being creative. I, I could see them, you know, dig certain places and then fill up certain places so they can get some traction to pull it out. But it was just not working. On top of that, that truck was only a two-wheel drive truck. It was not a four-wheel drive truck. On top of that, all the wheels are bald. So <laughs> I, I think this is very ambitious for someone to actually know all of these problems and still go through with it. Right. You're like, what were you thinking? Yeah. Oh, my God. Very ambitious. Uh, I'm glad nothing went wrong. They also called me again, you know, just to... Uh, guide them through a trail so that if they get stuck, I can pull them out. That's a different story. But uh, we we had to figure a way out to pull this trailer out. Um, 
it was not coming out uh, with the truck itself. So we had to pull the truck out separately and then winch the trailer from the side so it gets out of the ditch. And then once it was out of the ditch, I uh, hitched it behind my truck and hauled it up. Okay. Uh, the other truck had enough power. It's just the problem with no traction. And being two-wheel drive with a 28-feet camper trailer, which, which is just too much weight, way too much weight. And it was out of tires. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I I feel bad laughing at it too because you know it you know I, I don't want to make them feel that I'm laughing at the situation. The situation is is serious because you know if they didn't find me, then they would be starving anymore, and anything could go wrong. Yeah. I don't want that to happen. Yeah, I, and I, I you know there is humor, and we have to be able to laugh at the things we do That's that true. don't always go right. But there, I think it's a great message for planning you know don't just when you go to colorado you got your big old camper and you're trying like think about what you're doing people get hurt it's not it's not like you're on flat land six thousand well, is a little much yeah <laughs> those dogs are really happy to see me to be honest <laughs> they were like food he's got milk <laughs> oh my gosh i can't even imagine wow well, as we were um, sharing the day together, we talked a lot about the the cultural differences, and um, we talked a little bit about your mom and and her experience too. But I, I I always find it fascinating to talk to people from other countries because, as everyone in a, their own country, we only know what we know and what someone has taught us about other countries and and culture. So. It was so much fun to learn from you a little bit more just about the actuality of growing up in India. And I just, it was fascinating. So I want to talk a little bit about, you shared a great story about um, a couple of different stories about being pulled over and how you're treated differently because of the name and then um, having a bike stolen. And so I want to talk about that because it it's interesting, um, or a bike crash. It was actually a bike crash, turned yeah. weird. Um, but it's just interesting to hear stories that would happen to us here, but they would come turn out completely different, a whole different experience. Totally. Yeah, I felt a huge difference between the American and the Indian culture. A massive shock too. But growing up in India, I've always looked up to countries like US. It, it kind of made me feel that's the freedom place. That's the place where I'm going to earn my freedom. Um, never never knew that I would come all the way here. Never knew I would have a, have a life, have a, uh, a house, a life. That, that's just, yeah. I'm fortunate in that case, uh, I feel. India is a very, very, it, it's its own wild, wild east, you could say that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah like it that. is. It's just like the wild, wild west. It's the wild, wild east, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> corruption is the most common thing out there. Um, almost every other third world countries have this problem in it. And uh, we are the kind of people who would self-mediate this problem. Because we know, we are aware of the system being corrupt. We know and are aware that the politicians and the government is corrupt. So we self-mediate means as public itself, we know what right is. So we cannot stand something wrong. Um, 
but sometimes it doesn't help at all. Like, for instance, you said uh, uh, the bike crash part. Yeah. So <clears throat> the bike crash uh, was a very life-changing event to me. It kind of got me stuck in a mindset. Right, I, I think I need to tell you the story first, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was, uh, I, I must be 15. Yeah, I must be 15 or 16. And I didn't have my license. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to be honest. I didn't have my license. I did have a motorcycle. I didn't have a helmet. Uh, but that's how India is. It's not just me. You know, the, the, the traffic light I was sitting at, you can find 10 more people just like me, you know? So I'm not the only one. Uh, anyways, I was I was waiting at the light. It was my I had an exam uh, on that day. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a I forget what exam it was, but my college was just five minutes away. Right. Um, from my house, it takes about an hour and a half, one and a half hour just to reach my college. So I'm just five more minutes away. Wow. In my college. And uh, uh, there is a service road right next to the road I was parked in, uh, standing on the uh, traffic light. And I see someone uh, got, like running in really fast on their motorcycle. It must be about 40 to 50 miles an hour. And he must have lost control because he, he wasn't able to brake. And he lost control and somehow landed on my leg. So his entire vehicle came on 40, 50 miles an hour, hit my leg, threw me off my bike on the right side. And he was thrown away, like way at the back. Uh, and <clears throat> I was a little shocked what just happened. I was a little pissed because this is not my fault, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was just standing there. I just right, like, I'm just standing here minding my own business. <laughs> yeah. Wait, and even following the rules, I was waiting for the red light to turn green, you know? And, and this guy comes out of nowhere and crashes with me. Uh, so I try to get up and I see my left leg is like bleeding because his entire bike weight came on my left leg and I could I was lipping it around. But I was more upset that my bike was damaged. I, I really love my motorcycle. Uh, I'm a motorcycle guy. So I get up and I try to see, is my motorcycle fine? Is, is, is everything okay? And apparently uh, my footrest was broken and my brake lever was bent. So yeah, there were certain problems and then it crashed on the right side. So the right side of the entire plastic got scratched, all the paints were coming off. So I was a little upset. I was actually a lot upset because uh, I'm 15 on top of that. Um, so now I'm trying to find this guy. Where is this guy? Um, I look around, I can't find him. I, I see his bike in, into a million pieces. It's just shattered. It's just all around the road. His, his wheel shape, I could find one of his front tires and it was like in some geometrical shape apart from the circle. It was not circle anymore. And uh, now I was just worried, like, I hope he's not dead. You know, right. I, I, I really hope he's not. But anyways, I found out, so usually you figure out where this guy has landed, where the highest amount of crowd is. So the crowd just surrounds this guy. He's lying on the road. Now, if he's unconscious, they're not going to touch him. But they'll surround him. That's, it's, it's another thing which Indians do is just surround a person in curious mind, like, well, oh, that's how it looks. I don't know what the point of it. <laughs> I feel bad if someone would look at me that way. Like, you know, at least help me. 
Right. Call an ambulance. Yeah. Call the police. The police are also watching, by the way. They they don't care. They're just standing back here going, yeah, they'll be all right. Well, yeah, yeah. That's not serious. You know, if it was, they'll call me. Uh, But anyways, I get I go to him and ask him, hey, man, are you okay? Uh, He he had bruises on his head. He had his entire arm bleeding. So he, he did take a big hit. And he was thrown away from his bike. His bike was shattered in two pieces. Uh, so I instantly told him, like, hey, man, if, if you're okay, can we, can we move aside? Do you need any medical attention? Because uh, I'm fine. You know, I, I do have something on my leg. Uh, but I don't think so. I've broken any bones or anything. So we were just communicating in a, in a very polite fashion, which is non-existent in India. If you meet with an accident, and if you're not at fault, it gives you the upper hand to yell at him, scold at him, you know, just blame whatever you want, throw your anger at him. You can pull him out of his car and slap him, you know, those kind of stuff up till that point. Uh, because they, they I, I don't know, they just think that they own that person for some reason at that point. Anyways, it's not that, it's not what I wanted to do. Right. I wanted to change that. I wanted to be a better person. Ask him if he's okay. You know, because he did go through a lot. Yeah, he, he was thrown away. Yeah, sure. But now I want what I own, right? He, he damaged my vehicle. This is not my fault. So just pay my stuff and let's move on. So he's like, yeah, sure. Let me call my brother and he'll get you the money. How, how much is the cost? So I told him three 3,000 rupees. Yeah. Um, and he's like, okay, all right. Uh, they'll be here in about like five, 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay, sure. Now I'm... You know, just cleaning up, picked my bike, tried to park it on the side and see what's the damage and see how things are wrong. And uh, uh, so now, now I'm all fine. And and then I try to look back at him. And uh, I think, uh, so I saw him talking to these seven really big dudes. And I was just hoping they were regular, like, you know, public asking him if he's okay. But then he started, I, I started seeing his body language that he's pointing at me. And when he points at me, all these seven dudes are looking at me. And I'm like, wait, that doesn't look that great. Uh, instantly, I figured out that he actually called these people to beat me up. Threatened me so that I give him the money. So they, they came to me and uh, uh, they said, uh, is this the guy who crashed into you? I'm like, no, no, that's not me. He crashed into me. And then... As soon as I said that, he slaps me and like really heavily slaps me. I've never felt that slap before. I, I, no, I have actually. My dad slapped me now. So yeah, yeah. So they kept slapping me. Everything, every time I said something or made a face, they kept slapping me. By, by this time, I must have taken like 10, 20 slaps. I'm just mad that I'm not able to do anything. And the cops are and, just watching all this. Yeah, cops are just watching. They, they're not going to help you. No. Uh, so uh, the only other way was uh, to comply with these people because they threatened me to take my bike. They were they said if I'm not going to pay, they they gonna just steal my bike at this point. Yeah, so I didn't want uh, them to take my bike away, and so I was trying to comply and say like, all right, so what is it? How much? What what, what do you want? Is it like three thousand? That's what you asked, right? And like now I now I regret asking that much money. It's like I should have just asked like. Thousand right. <laughs> or a five hundred or something, but the, any the uh, the 
they were just waiting for me to get the money and i'm trying to figure out how do i get this money i don't have that money 3000 rupees Yeah. And nor I want to ask my dad and tell him about this situation because he's already he he's the kind of person who's disappointed at me from the beginning of life. No. Yeah, so if he's disappointed at me, this is the just an add-on bonus to that disappointment, right? So I don't want that. <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid him. I call my friend. I'm trying to recollect which friends are that built enough so that they can tackle So I, I was uh, there's this one guy in my class who, who was built enough. He he goes to gym and he was as big as them. I I I told him about the situation and but I didn't tell him there were seven guys. I told him there were few built up guys who was trashing me and trying to steal my weight. And he was he was uh, saying things like, "Bro, don't worry about it. I'm gonna get my folks to you. Where, tell me where you are." uh I'll, i'll come there in like another 10 15 minutes i'll i'll get some uh, uh some of my friends so i'm like okay okay this sounds good it sounds promising yeah, yeah. all right i i hope i have some kind of a support who comes and you know they might we might have some kind of a negotiation i didn't know what would happen next 10 minutes passed by 15 minutes passed by 20 minutes passed by now i see him arriving and You know, his all his windows in his car is transparent, so you can literally see through it. And there was no one at the back. He was the only guy. And we made this eye contact from really far away. Okay, and he saw those people, seven gym built-up dudes, and he instantly took a U-turn right after that. He he didn't wanted to help. He didn't wanted to help. I also forgot to tell you this part last time that while he took a U-turn, he met with an accident. <laughs> with an old lady and he had to tackle that at that point but uh yeah. i'm like man no way so he just left me i really didn't want to call my dad but that was the only option at this point uh so i tell him and you know uh throughout my life i've heard this tone so many times uh tone of disappointment It, mm. it, it, you know what it is mm-hmm. so yeah um i i just had to accept it and my dad said that listen don't don't uh um uh, don't tackle these hooligans you know just give them what they want and get away from that I'm like but dad i don't have that money i've never had that money uh don't you have friends who would have that much money I'm like none of my friends have that much money yeah. 3000 rupees no one keeps it in pocket uh that it's just that's a lot so he's like uh let me let me call a few people and see if uh, i can help it out um it was just too late i think my dad forgot about me okay. and he never called me back so i had to try to figure out other people and i i i remember that one of my classmates actually had a fancy car and just that the notion that he has the money so i called him and he it was the last person i thought that he would help but he was the person who actually helped me gave me the money gave it to these guys and i got my bike i had to leave from there and i i was traumatized with that that situation to a point which led me to not ride a motorcycle from then on and buy a car and act like i'm safe yeah. mm-hmm. i started driving a car for a long period of time like at least 3 to 4 months Um, but then i did see that guy again after like three months i saw him on the road and um, i followed him home 
<laughs> because I was I was mad. I'm pissed. Like you know, this guy really ruined me, ruined my notion on a motorcycle. We, like you know, as if you're 15 and 16, there's certain fears you can't get out of unless you fight it or or face it. Yeah. It's just one of those testosterone leveled uh, ages where you just need to face certain things to figure things out. So I didn't know what to do. I mean, now I know where he lives. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a bad person. I know that. I I can't do someone really bad that would be like, uh, you know, ruin their life or something like that. No, I can't think that. But I want a revenge. I he's yeah, taking my money. money. Back. <laughs> yeah, I want my money back, and I want some respect which I lost. Uh, so we we. I kept following him for like a couple of days. I, I went uh, just to make sure that that's the exact place he lives. It's not someone else's house. Made sure. And then I told those friends of mine, the gym dude, and I told him that, hey, I want to I wanna make a plan uh, to get back at him. And we kind of discussed the whole thing. We, we were taking this entire plan as almost all the movies we've seen in our life. We've seen so many Bollywood movies. We've seen so many Hollywood movies. So all those criminal ideas we got from those movies, uh, uh, we, we structured it in this plan. So the plan is we're going to be on a motorcycle because, because it's easy to maneuver and it's easy to get out. And then we're going to wear black helmets like what they did in the movies with black wires, visors so they don't get to see us, with black masks so they don't get to see us at all. Uh, and we need three people as minimum and three people on, uh, sorry, uh, four people minimum, just in case one of those gym built up dudes are there in that same house, you know, we didn't want that to happen. So <clears throat> we, we went with two bikes, four helmets, four people, and, and uh, waited for him to come home. And he came home at like 5, 10 p.m. As soon as he got in, I was feeling a little nervous. I didn't know what to do. Um, and uh, I, I was just imagining so many like different scenarios this could go wrong or this could go in, in any way, right? So I knocked the door and my first instant reaction is the headbutt on this guy. So I hit him with my head with the helmet. So, so he, he, he fell down. And he instantly went unconscious, which I didn't realize. And because I was so angry at him, I kept punching his face. Now he didn't see me. He didn't know who I am, but I had so much anger in me. And, and I think after like the fourth or fifth punch, I realized that he is, he's, he's not awake. My friends are like, dude, he's not awake. Yeah. So we can't, we, you can't, you can't, a conscious person wouldn't hit a person. Was not awake. That's not. That's wrong. First of all, and right. that wasn't. You the, came back to your senses. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I came back to my senses. Like I can't do this. This is. Uh, I didn't know where he would go unconscious that easily. Also, I'm like, God damn! I wish I could have some little more touches on him while he was awake. But, <laughs> no, it didn't. So I, uh, I was like, okay, what do I do now? Uh, let's take his wallet. Yeah, take his wallet. Take his phone. Um, and we don't wanted to trash his house. That I feel that's disrespectful. Um, but we did, uh, 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 my friend slashed his tire, his back tire. 
And I took the phone and his wallet and we ran away. Like within two, three minutes, we were out of there. <laughs> now, I feel bad. Like, I feel like a criminal doing something like that. But then it felt so much better that, hey, I got my revenge back. And that wallet had 3,000 change, a little more than 3,000 rupees. So I got my money back on top of that. I felt respected again because, hey, I, I took back what I wanted. I took back what you took from me, you know. Yeah. Uh, he took a part of my dignity. He took a part of my uh, 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 self-respect. He took a lot of small, small things which I didn't know valued my life. Mm. And it's not like I always thought about having revenges. I've never had revenges, uh, like, like something like this in my life. But this worked out to a point that it now I'm a very strong writer. I've been writing since I was seven years old. So it is a huge part of my life. Yeah. And now that when I'm on the road, no one can screw with me. Uh, no, I, I have a lot, I've faced and been through a lot more even after that, which made me stronger. Right. That was just the first instance of me facing the raw, brutal world. Like I said to you before, Indian driving is, if I have to describe it, it's called synchronized chaos. <laughs> we are synced with ourselves in a very chaotic way. Right. It works with us. Yeah. <laughs> when a, foreign, a foreigner comes to our place, they can't comprehend that chaos, chaoticness. <laughs> it's just yeah. too much. You're like, we're in it every day. So it's just like the natural, it's just the way it happens, no big deal. So, yeah. Do you feel like, um, in a way, you lost a little bit of the, the innocence of the world in at that time? I did. Yeah. Because you're like, I, hey, hang on. People will take advantage of you. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to learn. You know, um, I learned that from my dad. My dad's taken advantage of me a lot of times, but I didn't know that. Yeah, let's and, talk about that a little bit. Because I know growing up um, in India, the culture is different. <clears throat> and I think a little bit of that, women and children don't really have a voice. Yeah. Not, not really, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, whenever I used to watch these American movies living in, I used to see this dad bond with his kid so well, so passionately. I'm like, why is this so absent in my house? Why is it, forget my house, any house at this point, no one has that kind of a connection where it's that kind of a friendship level. It's more like a dictator level. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's more, <laughs> it's unfortunate, but it is more like a dictator. So it's it's like you know when someone has to decide um, what's going to be made for food at home today. We don't get to decide that. <laughs> the dad gets to decide that. We don't get to decide anything. Dad says we're going to have this and we're going to have this. Yes, that's what it is. That's that's the kind of place India is like. India is like, say if I'm a father, like my father wanted me to join his business, mm. which I'm not interested in uh, because he forgets that when I was a child, he used to take me to his office as a punishment. Oh. Yeah, so whenever I misbehaved or whenever I had bad grades, my punishment was to go to his office and sit quiet for all day, doing nothing. I can't do anything i can't even think as a child it feels torture to not do anything right. 
on top of that, I'm restless. I, I, I can't stop moving. You know, it's just a torture for me. And then he expects me to join his business after all that. Right. I can't do it. How, <laughs> how am I going to do it? I've seen it as punishment and I can't even see that future anymore. Right. It's very hard to communicate that to him, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's like, no, that's why you were here. So you could take yeah. it. You're like, no, you attach yeah. a horrible experience to the business. I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he's clearly told me, I got you in this world for this. I've got, I, you should be honored that you have this life because mm -hmm. of me. I'm like, yeah, dad, like, I mean, I do honor this opportunity of life. Yeah. But you're telling me to be honored in a way that thank you for this life. You are the God of my life. I will follow you unconditionally, even when you're wrong. I can't do that. No, no. Not after the education you gave me. You know, he's, he's saying you should be honored that you've been given this life. However, you didn't choose to be born. He chose to bring you yeah. into it. So that's just, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think that's across the board. There are parents out there that in America feel that way as well. So that's not just a, a thing yeah, in no, India. No. It definitely is people in general. <laughs> yeah, but it kind of, because India is still a very extremely patriarchal society, so the men rules most of the times. That that it's always that way. And if the men rules, there are certain roles which are already seen by default, like men's role by default, women's role by default. And if you cross those lines, uh, society starts talking about it, and you don't want society to talk about it, so you never try to switch those roles or even see that. There's a possible, there's a possibility to do better if you switch roles. No, they, they, they feel ashamed. Like men especially feel so ashamed doing any women work, which I, I don't see as women work and men's work. I think it's supposed to be a mutual work. It, like for example, your clothes, when you put the wash, it's a mutual thing. Your clothes are in that too. Your dirty underwears are in that too. It's not just mom's underwear or sister's underwear. It's your underwear too. So why is it only mom has to do that? That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I had to question these things. Uh, and we are not educated like in that American standard that things are equal and women are, and they, they do say men and women are equal. Yeah, yes, you know, but it doesn't look that. They don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, they don't believe in it. Uh, and few people have figured a way out like, uh, uh, like the modern generation they will not stand a man forcing them to be at home. Mm -hmm. So anyone after millennials in India will not stand. Okay, so their generation has flipped to a point that it's not changed. It is completely flipped that you can't do that same thing anymore. You're not going to find that same kind of person anymore. Um, it's good to hear that it, it has evolved. It's not just continuing yes. to stay the same. Yeah. yeah. Just like I've had enough of looking and being in that patriarchal society. I've, I've seen it and I've lived uh, also, like I don't want to say this uh, out in a way that puts me in a higher position. No, it doesn't. I've come out of that. Mm -hmm. my, my family is in, in a royal category in India. And uh, my surname is pretty common. It's not common, but it's, it's popular to a point that they can judge me according to it. Mm. So India is also a kind of place where you can figure out where this person's from just by his name and surname. 
head. You like every detail, not just where I'm from, his caste, his religion, his class, his ethnicity, his village, his parents, uh, his parents' village. All of these details are there only in their first and last name. Oh, wow. Okay, that's impressive. Yeah. And I feel who, uh, who kind of takes a hit in the society is this second-class citizens. And second-class citizens are in India like Muslims, Christians, any other religion which is not Hindu. Mm, okay. okay. So Hindu is number one. That's first-class citizen. You just got the first-class passport by having a Hindu name itself. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then on that Hindu, if you're royal, oh, that prestige and that, that kind of a respect level is just so ridiculous that, uh, for instance, uh, I told you the story uh, when I got caught by cops. I, I was, again, I must be 13 to 15 again at this time. I was just hanging out with my friends. So we were smoking and drinking, um, you know, kids. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said I was 13 and 15, but yeah. But yeah, this, this no, is what we I think do. a lot of people can relate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, again, wild, wild east, right? So there's no rules in regulation. Uh, and then cops are looking out for people like us. They know we exist. They know they're going to make money out of us because we are these young, stupid generation who, who's not looking out, but who's trying to escape these cops. And, you know, we find fun in this. So when, when uh, I was with like four to five friends of mine, there were, there were two girls too, and it was a huge car. Uh, and then the, we, we were not drunk uh, or drinking and driving. The guy who was driving is sober and uh, we were drinking in the back. And uh, we all of a sudden see this cop car kind of just barged in and blocked us. So the cop knew who, uh, who we are, how we were going to come. And they were somehow bought these connection by different cops and they blocked us out. And... They, they're like treating us like as if we are rapists. Oh. We are raping these women. Or they also had false accusation that these are prostitutes, which is, which is illegal in India. You can't have prostitution in India. But they're just putting false blame so that in the end, we have to shut them up by a bribe. That, right. That's how it goes. Yeah. So... Uh, when they say these kind of things, like, who are these prostitutes? Uh, you know, what are you going to do with them? Now, sometimes if, if a normal person has a lot of anger, he might react to this and he backfires at the cop. Like, how dare you speak about my sister that way? Or how dare you speak about my whatever, whoever that is, right? And then the cop has a reason to put him in bars because what, what they will do is uh, they, such a cheap act, they will hit themselves. And they will hit, yeah, they will literally hit and punch themselves and they'll just blame it on you. And they are proof with other four cops who will take their side no matter what. <laughs> and they'll put you in. Right? Well, how do you escape something like that? You can't escape. Oh that. my gosh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, you just have to you, you need to communicate and you know where it's going. The first first three times if you get caught in India, you might not realize what's happening. Right. You will not realize what's happening. You will be confused and how did it went and went by, you wouldn't even know. But once you have that first three training on getting caught, you know exactly how to speak to them, what they want, what's the motive behind it, and you're not going to be intimidated. Uh, right. 
time. That must be my fifth or sixth time. Someone must have pulled us over that way. So I already know what the the routine is. What am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to behave? But a couple of my other friends didn't know how to behave. Now, I have friends from all different communities. I don't see differences in caste, class, and religion. And religion is the last of it. I don't right. care about that. Um, yeah. So I have Christian friends, I have Muslim friends, I have Buddhists, I have people who don't think about religion, they're atheists, you know, every, every kind of friends. So they have these names too, right? If they're Muslims, they're going to have a Muslim name. If they're Christian, it's going to be a Christian name. And I'm a Hindu, I have a Hindu name. Okay. So when, when a cop is intimidating you with questions and, you know, making you feel provoked and all these things, they're going to ask you your names too, so that they can make a fair judgment on who you are. So that they don't screw up. Because sometimes, what if they whack a person who is a politician's son? That politician has more power to, you know, ruin that cop's life. Because it's corrupt. You live in a corrupt system. You don't want to get screwed by your superior who's more corrupt than you. <laughs> so oh my they, goodness. They, they are very aware of this part. So they, they'll ask you your name. So they ask me, what's my name? I, I, they won't ask your ID. ID is last. Uh, ID is not a thing in India. Because they know if you lie, and if they figure out that you lied, it's not like they're going to punish you by putting you in jail. No, they'll beat the crap out of you. <laughs> hey, what do you want? Do you want to go to jail or get beaten the crap? You will probably pick the jail at this point. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you're like, I'll take jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah just, just, just take me back. Um, so he asked my name. He, I said, you know, Pratik Dhatwar. And then uh my friend's name was Abdullah and uh, Abdullah Khan. So Abdullah is already a common Muslim name and Khan is also another common Muslim surname. And then the other guy was Joseph. You know, that's a Christian name right there. Uh, and another guy was Roha. So most of them were like just, well, there were three Hindus, including me. And then uh, everyone was just well, one or two Christians, one or two Muslims, and that's it. And when they asked the Muslim guy's name first, actually, they didn't ask me first. They asked the Muslim guy's name first. And he said, you know, Muhammad. And they just whacked him. They started beating the crap out of him. Now, again, I'm a child. Me and my friends are laughing our ass off at him that he's getting whacked. And then the other friends started getting whacked. And now I'm a little, okay, uh, okay, I'm next, I guess. You know, this is going to happen. They, they won't hit women. They won't hit girls, no matter what the situation is. That's something like that. Then they ask my name. And I tell them Pratik Rathod. And they give me a warning. So I didn't understand what that meant until I turned, say, 18, 19. Mm. When the similar same scenario came up. And they were actually being very racist amongst, like verbally racist amongst uh, Muslims. Yeah, so when you when the cops are being openly racist towards your religion, then you already know what the motive is. And then it flashed back to me like, oh, you know, I remember when I got caught the first time or the, the last time, this is the reason he hit him because he's Muslim, you know, not, not because and I escaped because I was I had a royal surname with being a Hindu and they just they just left me. And I was feeling proud that, uh, not proud, but I was, I was feeling like, oh, they didn't hit me. They just, they hit my friends. You know, 
and we were laughing and making fun of it, but it's not. It's not funny at all once you actually realize what the reality of that scene is. Yeah. It's not just that you were lucky and they were tired after the first two. Yeah, no, I wasn't lucky at all. I was, if I said I was, uh, say, uh, Muhammad or Abdullah or any other Muslim name, I would, I would be treated the same way. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of uh, uh, liberal Hindus which put themselves in this situation where they actually want to get caught by cops and they film them get beat up mm. and then they put them online right. to reveal the public that what the intention of these cops are and now that when the public knows the public won't respect those cops because mm. you're, you're telling out the truth now you're bringing out the truth of those people mm. also they don't get paid that much you know mm. most of the time because they, this is one of the reasons they start bribing is because they're not being paid that much by their own superiors and if the corruption is from the head itself mm. of course it's going to trickle down all the way till the end and the last guy is not going to get much right yeah yeah no it's interesting and there's some similarities in the in the two cultures in that the same thing with racism here and the police you know once we start filming it things change because um i think cameras are an amazing thing and they do hold us all accountable (laughs) not that i want to be watched by big brother don't get me wrong i mean (laughs) cameras have a place but (laughs) i do think you know, if we all knew we were on camera 24-7, we might act a little differently. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is so true. Like, you, so you've seen Big Brother, right? Yeah. Right? So you know that the first few weeks, they try to behave as much as possible. And then somewhere, the character breaks. Yeah. And when the character breaks, that's when the reality of these people just comes out like this. And then you start seeing. Mm-hmm. But that's what the show is about. Yeah. And that's true. You know, you probably would just forget you're on camera. and. Yeah. And, you know, we all have stuff we're dealing with. We're not perfect. We're humans. We're flawed. <laughs> I do want to talk about, you know, your childhood and, and the disrespect you did feel from your father. And that, that being common and being hit is also, I'm assuming, a common. Yeah. Nobody talks about what goes on behind closed doors and in public. Mm-hmm. Everything's wonderful. <laughs> As a child, I've always feared uh, two things. Uh, one was God, another one was my dad. Mm. And this is the only two things which ran in my head for a very long period of time. Uh, but when I got the freedom from the existence of God, because I challenged that notion, because you know, if, if I'm scared at something, uh, I'm not gonna do it. Right. That's what it leads to, right? But what if I do it? What the consequences is what I question. And I, I started doing a lot of things which God wouldn't like. And, and I didn't get anything. I didn't get punished at all. I, nothing happened. Like, wait, it, but it's written. You will be punished. But I didn't. So what does this mean? And just questioning that, it just got me out of it that, there is nothing like that. And, and, and actually, science is what helped me. Logical thinking is also what helped me. Uh, self-reflection also helped me. Um, self-reflection is probably the best thing in this case. Because yes. if you come to an acceptance on who you are as a person, you can really understand others very well. You can understand anyone at this point. Mm-hmm. You can sympathize. You can empathize. 
easy to understand. So my fear on God got away, but the fear on dad never went. My dad is a way uh, to, to describe my dad. He is a narcissist, uh, a toxic misogynist. He's a hypocrite. I've always tried to convince myself that he's a good person. And, uh, you know, I wanted his attention for a long period of time. I've, I've always craved his attention to be, you know, that if, if he shows me what kind of father he is to me, but he's never been a father to me. He's been a boss to me. Mm. Like, that's a good way. Not even a, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, even a boss would put certain respect to their employees. You know, <laughs> he did. He, you know, boss, was, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was more, more again, you know, I have to move that boss. Boss has a lot of respect. Again, I think as you put it as a dictator, I was mm-hmm. dictated my entire life to be a person, to talk in a certain way, to behave in a certain way because of society. And as soon as I realized that society is not feeding me, the society is not sheltering me, the society is not helping me at all. Why am I even living for them? Why should I be here suddenly? Can I not do what I want to do? Anyway, that, that's me questioning everything. Yeah, my dad uh, uh, is a very abusive person being based on his nature. He's a, he's an ex, he's a king of narcissism, actually. He, he can be the meaning of narcissism. That's how strong he is. And he's a boss on top of that. He, he owns a company. He, he has a lot of success in his background. He has a lot of hard work in his background. So it kind of backs him up to think he is the good, right. which is not bad. But then he, he doesn't think anyone else can be great. That's right. Also. right. So there's a lot of problems in that thought. Uh, and I've grown up thinking that I'm a loser. I've grown up thinking because that's what he told me. He told me that I will never be able to do anything. I am a loser. I will always be a loser. And uh, led me to believe that I'm pretty bad in things is because of my dad, because he, he kept reinforcing that knowledge into me that I could never be anything. I could not tackle anything or be as successful as him. Definitely not. You know, he, he's a pretty hard worker. He came from a, a village to a completely different city, a city with a whole different language, culture, food. He made it happen. He, he grew his family over there. He made uh, an office, he made his factory, he made his own home. So that's a lot of hard work. So he's accomplished a lot of things. So yeah, I, I believe in certain ways he do deserve to think that, you know, I want my child to do as good as me. Sure. But you can't add a narcissism in that and a really bad character flaw, which is completely focused in your work. So my dad is all engraved in his business to a point that he never he forgot to be a father he forgot to be a husband forgot to be a caring person or a pillar of support no no he 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 forgot to do all of that and he only became a boss Hmm. whatever he's in the office he's at home that there was no difference (laughs) and the only time i saw a difference is when he spoke to uh my cousin brothers so his brother's sons when i see him connect with them is to a point which makes me feel so jealous so jealous because that's what i wanted i wanted him to connect with me like the way he connects with them right but he 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 connects really well with them not with me now after discouraging me for so long he also wanted me to 
join his business. So I'm like, why would you want me to join your business if you think so low of me, right? But that is thought by default in India. Every dad in India wants their son to carry on their legacy of success. It's a good thought, you know? Yeah. It's not a bad thought. But have you asked him? Does he want to do it? Or have you put the energy and time to show him what passion can you put in a business like this? No, nothing like that. He, he expected it automatically that I should be that person with interest after being abused. That does not work. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that somebody, you know, that the thought is to belittle you, to tell you you're ignorant and then expect you to do well. Like the conditioning is like crazy. Yeah. There's a, a lot of expectation because now, again, he, he constantly is in comparison, right? He's comparing his friend's kids with me. He's comparing his cousin's kids with me. He, he never asked me what, what did I want to be, though. Uh, that, that was never an option. But he did try to convince one of his friends to convince me to take up business, you know, to study business so that he can help his business. So again, there is a selfish motive behind it. Uh, and the guy who he convinced to convince me kind of didn't do the convincing part. He actually encouraged me to go towards what I'm passionate about and actually helped me realize uh, that if I'm passionate about something and if I'm really wanting to prove that I could do that, then go for it, you know. But don't go for it fail and then take your dad's business as your last case scenario that's an insult that's an insult to your dad it's an insult to your family and two of my cousins have already done that so i for me i i, I can't even think that as a last case scenario i never thought that as a scenario at all i just can't go yeah. i would rather live alone without doing anything than go join his business right <laughs> So when, when he was trying to convince uh, with the help of his friend, uh, that guy gave me an example uh, what his dad did to him. His dad is a goldsmith. Mm -hmm. And a goldsmith's life is very easy in India because you're just sitting and earning at this point. Nothing. You, know, you don't have to do anything. You're, you're rich. So rich, you can just lavishly spend whatever you want, however you want. It's just wow. a lot of money. It's just so his dad's like, listen, you could either sit and take my, my throne and, you know, you can sit and make a lot of money or you could do what you're interested in. And he left that easy job, easy money-making treasure job, and he wanted to be in a, um, a robotic engineer. Oh, yeah. he, was, he was interested in robotic engineering and he had an aim to help uh, handicapped people so that they can actually move their arms. So uh, back in those days, India didn't have a robotic arm. It had only one of those old wooden arms and oh, all those plastic yeah. ones. And they're like just, you know, they, they're not even, they're stiff. They're not art articulated or anything. And the one he built, he created an articulation motion which senses your brain's uh, neural connection. And it literally, you know, moves and stuff. And, and, and it literally does. 
so many things and he's become so successful he came to us us loved him they got his product to this place he's very successful right now so my dad, that's one of the reason my dad looks up to this guy i'm glad he looks up to him right. he's a he's a good person to look up to right but my dad didn't like when he advised me <laughs> to pick my passion uh, above dad's business he was really right. mad. He, was, he was very pissed um so at what point did you get into like the virtual because that's like you that is your job more of that like virtual tech stuff right oh yeah like the uh, visual effects yeah visual yeah 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 no it's good when what like so, what what age did you start like going okay that's what i want to do my mom was the one who who showed me uh this field it was not vfx it was the uh, animation um yeah um but she knew that i was good in drawing she knew all this long that he's good in drawing so what what can we i had no idea all these cartoons in the in the tv and shows and stuff like that were built out of animation industry i didn't know that industry existed also i didn't know there was something like that i just didn't want it to be you know like i I didn't want it to be someone who draws something for a living or paints something for a living because you need to be really extraordinary and unique. I'm not trying to put them down at all. They are amazing artists out there. Mm-hmm. You know, but you really have to stand out to do something like that. And that was not something which I wanted to do. What else would you think if you have if you lack in knowledge in art itself, you didn't know what else could you do apart from painting or drawing? So she took me to this diploma course place and showed me how animation happened. So animation is, it's, it's quite simple, you know, it's, it's just uh, 24 pages of drawing, which has slight movement from one page to another page, which creates one second of movement. So you have to draw 24 times just to make one second of an action. Wow. It blew my mind. I, I, that's when I realized like, wow, that's how animation is made. That's how Tom and Jerry was made, Popeye was made that way. And it really blew my mind. I was like, I think I could do this. Yeah. I had no idea that there's a line just creator for me to pick. And I, I couldn't thank my mom more. Because all this while I was, I really believed I, I won't be able to have anything that I would be passionate to do about. Mm-hmm. Or a career that I want to be working on. Right. Um, never thought. Yeah, I was only thinking that there's only engineering mechanical, electronic, computer, you know, those regular jobs that you see everyone going to. Doctor is a high expectation in India. Engineer is a high expectation in India. Uh, and no one thinks of animation, of course not. So when my dad saw that as, you want to make cartoon all your life? That's how he said it, yeah. Right. You want to make cartoon all your life? I'm like... Doesn't sound that bad though. It, you know, <laughs> yeah. makes me happy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so when when I realized the part where this is animation, uh, that's the time I failed in my twelfth grade. So if you fail in India, tenth uh, and twelfth grade is like the turning point of your life, which lets you decide which college you can achieve. But if you failed in twelfth, then forget about college. No one's gonna take you. You failed. You're a failure. It literally it made me feel and confirmed that I am a failure. Yeah, oh, right. proved it. Oh. it um, 
but I failed. And I saw all my friends graduate. I saw them move on, get to get into these good colleges and stuff like that. Um, and I didn't want to waste my time. So I thought, why don't I do a diploma course? So diploma is like a one-year course mm-hmm. of that same animation field um, so that I can at least get uh, some basic knowledge on where to start and then where to go. So I did that one year. I made a portfolio and I submitted it to this university, which I was looking up for. Uh, and they liked it so much. They're like, hey, man, you've learned everything. So why don't we just start you from the second year? So I didn't really lose a year at all. They just put me through the second year. And I felt good. I felt like, okay, this is not bad. Why would they do that? But they, they did it. And then right in my first quarter, I saw for the first time in my life that I can score above 90%. Mm. In my entire life, I've never scored 90%. So it's just, I've never expected something like that. And this was, I, I scored 95 point something. I could not believe that I did that, but it made me realize that this is because I'm passionate about that. I'm interested in that subject. And because I have this interest and passion towards it, I, I think I did it pretty well. And I also realized that a lot of people in my class joined this subject just to escape engineering, doctor, and they all failed, even in this. Because their reasons were different, right? It's not like they were passionate to do certain things. Their reason was to escape that and thinking that this is easy. We can get through this drawing, right? We can do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. They didn't tell us that we had to do 15,000 gestures. We had to draw 15,000 gestures a day. That's the training. Yeah. In a day, Okay, first of all, that is the basic thing while you have classes. You can't miss your classes. But even doing those classes, understanding those classes, you can't stop drawing. They train you to a point that you just can't stop. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's brutal. And they'll count. They'll count. You think they wouldn't count, but they will. They will count 15,000 gestures. Close. No. (laughs) But to do 20,000 gestures a day is not a job. It's... It's like doing math stuff all day without break. But yeah, slowly. Out of it. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, but slowly, uh, I got, I started getting into, uh, so once I got into the university, uh, the university is called Manipal University. It was pretty well known in uh, India. Um, and I felt proud that I went into a university which everyone knows and all my other friends were in just regular colleges. And I, I felt, okay, no, I'm not that bad today. Stop saying you're bad. Stop stop putting yourself down. I had to constantly remind myself that I'm not that bad. So Indian degrees are three years. It's not four-year degrees. But, and we have semester system. So in that three-year, VFX was in the last year, last semester on top of that. Oh, my gosh. So uh, I didn't even know what was coming or what's uh, approaching. All this while, my mindset was animation. I love animation. What I felt happiness in animation was giving life to that 2D character and then see it play. It made me feel really happy. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Like imagine you're drawing for weeks and weeks and weeks. And after drawing for weeks, you made a five second video. Just a five-second video which gives you this ultimate happiness when that character moves 
moves and has these expressions. It's just, oh my so that's where my passion went. I, I loved it so much that I was looking forward for that animation. Yeah. Then uh, I was already passionate about uh, photography by then. I like photography. I, I kind of gained knowledge on compositions, color corrections, color values, what kind of complementary colors you could use, things like that. Lighting in general itself. I was very passionate that how do I light a scene and stuff like that. I didn't know there was a career just focused on lighting and composite. So <clears throat> the more you learn, the more you figure out like, okay, this is where it's going. This is what I want. Yeah. By the last semester when VFX came out, in VFX, there is a, a specialization called lighting and compositing. So lighting and compositing is more like uh, creating lights in a 3D environment, replicating real life. Okay. And you're gonna play with physics at this point. So, because light's all about physics. So if you, if that's something, I don't know, uh, physics went pretty well with me, not biology or not chemistry or anything. Yeah. Physics is amazing, I loved it. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's more like creating lights from scratch. Like in, in real life lighting, you have bulbs. Like someone's made that bulb, right? It's not like you're going to go make that bulb from scratch to what you want. This is what 3D lighting is like. You're going to make that value of that bulb, give, give the depth of that bulb, give what kind of harsh shadow it has. So it fascinated me so much. Then I compared VFX with animation. VFX is adding beauty to the scene, adding this final beauty, lighting, color, and make it look beautiful as whatever you want. Yeah. And right before that, when I get the file, it's grayscale. So the entire environment is grayscale. There's no textures, there's no light. So it, there's a day and night difference between when I get the file and I give the file. I get the file in, in complete grayscale and I give the file with complete touch-ups with light and shadows and color and texture, how materials act with light, that also matters a lot. So if there's a metallic material, that's a different light. Uh, plastic material would react differently. Uh, the way light refracts and reflects on different materials, those kind of stuff, I, it just fascinated me. I, I loved it. And I, when I compared it, I, I was like, I, I still do love animation a lot because giving life to a character was my thing. But in this scene, the entire scene finished into a final scene made me even more happy. Yeah. And it kind of connected with the photography aspect also because you know, you're still uh, doing composition, you're still adding lights, you're still adding elements from scratch mm -hmm. to make it look as pretty as possible. And, uh, but if I pick animation, I have to be stuck in that grayscale forever. There's no, I don't have a choice. I yeah. If you are in animation, you will constantly work in grayscale. You're not going to be working on a beauty scene. That is in the end, right. in the pipeline. So uh -huh. I picked lighting and compositing, and VFX as in general. So VFX is a huge uh, major, and there are subcategories under that major where lighting compositing is just one subject, like one specializing. I've right. specialized in lighting compositing in minor in film. So I'm pretty much good with the entire pipeline of VFX. And I left animation in completely. Like, you know, yeah. I, I like the beauty part of it. And that, that's probably what got me into VFX, you know, mostly lighting. How do you light the scene? 
what kind of colors you can add, the beauty yeah. aspect of it. And that's kind of connected to photography. I mean, yeah, like, like those two, boom, yeah. Yeah, it worked. Oh, I love it. That's wonderful. So is that what brought you to America? Yeah, actually, uh, I was already working in India as a lighting compositing artist in DreamWorks Technicolor. And I worked on many TV shows and movies. But I was just a laborer over there. And I wanted, I used to speak to these clients who were in California. And they, all these ideas they had is the same ideas I had. And I wanted to be them. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to give an idea and then make it happen. But not be the part of that labor system where you just have, well, do what you've been told to do. That, that was the only freedom I had. So the, I made a decision that I want to have a higher education, like an American higher education on this particular field, and then get a job and experience in, uh, uh, an experience of a job in the US so that I can have in my portfolio. So that was one of the motivations for me to come. But education was the only way. So I got uh, uh, accepted in Savannah College of Art and Design and uh, Loved it. Uh, it was, apart from being expensive, yeah. really, really expensive and bank breaking with my dad broke his bank. I'm fine with that. Let him break that bank. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that got me into SCAD in, uh, uh, in US. From there, I went, uh, landed a job in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, in this company called Hasbro to make uh, toys. Yeah. So I didn't even know they made toys. I, I had no clue about this company at all until I joined. And I'm like, what? They make toys? That's amazing. Oh, I'm responsible to make the ads for those toys. Ah, so okay. I loved it. It's still my field. And they gave me a lot of freedom. They gave me authority, which I have never had before. They gave me uh, so much. They relied on in, in, in my expertise, which gave me that value, which I wanted. Yeah. That's what I I was dreaming in India while I was working in India, and I got that over here. It made me feel really good. Um, worked there for two years uh, till my wife landed a job in Colorado. And Colorado has always been a dream place to me. It's, it's very engraved in my head. So I left everything just to come here and to start from scratch again. Right. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy, and it's a great story. It is one of those where you grow up and you've just been told, basically, you're nothing. You'll never be anything. And then your mom has a little bit of faith in you. <laughs> no, my mom never gave up. You're right. She encourages you to 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 move in a direction that's going to really make you happy. And True. then it just takes off, and it's this beautiful experience that brings you to the U.S. You meet your wife, and now you're living in beautiful Colorado, which is, I think, Whoa. when we talk, a dream of yours. I've visited Colorado so many times. The living is a different experience is when you realize what this place is like, what it offers you. And it kind of aligned with all my interest, all my passion. And the only problem is there's very less VFX over here. Ah, yeah. That's the only problem. So I'm trying to bring up VFX uh, to ad agencies, to people who have products where they're, they're... So I'm trying to get into that. Yeah. Uh, slowly get into the market where the market doesn't exist. Mm. Um, right. Because this place makes me happy. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Your wife transferred for her job 
and you went ahead and said, hey, I'll, I'll find something, I'll, I'll make it work. So it's, I love that you're on the Airbnb experience. Like you're just, you're just going after what you got to do to, to make yeah. things happen. So it's just, it's very cool. It's a great story and it's such a cool experience. So if you're in Boulder, check it out because uh, it's definitely worth it. It was a full day experience. Um, yeah, it was just, it was great. I loved it. And I loved the chai. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm still having one right here. <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> That is my default water. It's something which I can't live without. Most of us are like coffee, but that was really good. I'm like, I bought some uh, a mix. At, oh. um, I did ended up doing a food tour also while I was there, and um, they took us to some kind of place, and they had these little like pre-spiced packets for chai, and I'm like, now I'm addicted. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm glad you like it now. <laughs> Yes, but I use my almond milk. <laughs> oh yeah, no, totally. That that's good. Yeah. The how's the taste like? You know, compared to regular whole milk. Uh, it doesn't have that fat, really. Mm -hmm. um, maybe if I used cashew milk, which is a you know fattier nut mm -hmm. milk, but um, the almond milk it's a little, little less rich, but mm -hmm. it still has a wonderful flavor. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna try that. Okay. Good stuff. Nah, stick to the good milk. I mean, stick to milk. It's got the good fat in it. Yeah, that's what makes it taste good. <laughs> oh, it's only America, which has so many options. I've never seen these before. <laughs> yeah. No, it was fun when we were talking about it because you were like, um, I think I said chai tea. <laughs> and you were like, I love the Americans say chai tea because that's the word chai is tea, so chai yeah. tea is like tea tea, and I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> good to know, good to know. I'll never say it like that again. It's just chai. <laughs> I when I heard chai tea for the first time, I thought, I thought uh, it's it's like this different kind of tea which has chai flavor in it, which was real. That's what it was, you know. They they just had this chai syrup in this milk based product, and they just uh, steamed it. Yeah, or, or, or what do you call that? Yeah, yeah, but the way you make uh, cappuccino. Yeah, so I steamed it that way, and it just had this flavor of chai, but it wasn't chai. Right. It wasn't chai at all. But it's funny to see how they describe chai tea, whereas chai itself is tea. It, it is tea. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought that was funny. I'm like, oh, okay, now I know. Let's one of those things you don't know until you know. So <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great. Is there a way someone could connect with you? Oh yeah. Uh, so my email address is my first name, Pratik, which is P-R-A-T-I-K followed by 9003 at gmail.com. So with, with this email address, you could come up with any inquiries. And if you want to see my portfolio and my work, I have a website, uh, which is pratikarrato.com. Okay. So it's P-R-A-T-I-K-R-R-A-T-H-O-D.com. Okay. And I will put, um, if you send me all the links, I've got your email, but send me all the oh, links. Sure. I'll put it all in the description so that if anybody wants to reach out and connect, they can absolutely do that. And um, again, check out the Airbnb experience. Um, yeah. All, all they have to do is uh, 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 go to the Airbnb experience and find uh, a scenic off-road. 
they just have to type scenic off-road or anything four by four i'll pop up and they, they can find me you can see my truck i'm sure you saw the the picture yeah. of it and you know it was interesting because I, I just was looking for something different and there were a ton of hikes on there and biking uh adventures and when I saw yours, I was like, oh, that's it. Like completely different. What a great way to really experience Colorado mountains. Like it was just fantastic. So thanks. Yeah, well, I'm glad you liked it. I'm, I'm happy for you. Thank you for getting me. Yeah, I feel very honored, by the way. Yeah, it's been so fun. Well, thank you again, Pratik. And to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in, watching, listening. Stay safe, stay curious, and I'll see you soon.